Welcome to the latest live stream. Rob Staten, Robbie Williams, Adam Nathan here to uh, have a chat about the Seahawks. Lots going on at the moment. We're a week into free agency now. Uh, the Seahawks have got a, a fair bit done, uh, but we're going to talk about how well they've done so far. What are the, the remaining positions they need to still address? We'll talk a bit about what they should do at quarterback as well, because that is a, a position that's going to be a big talking point that is ongoing. We'll talk a bit about the draft. All sorts of topics to get into. Uh, fellas, let's just start, though, by having a, a general discussion of what you feel they've done so far in free agency. Um, Robbie, first of all, I mean, how would you rate Seattle's first week of the new league year? I mean, if I'm grading on a <clears throat> on a scale here, I'm probably going to say it's probably like a five out of ten. I don't, I'm not, I don't love what they've done so far. I think there's still holes to fill. Um, you know, we wanted them to kind of come out and be aggressive right away in free agency. Uh, and I haven't really, I haven't been super impressed with some of the moves that they've done. Um, and there's guys out there that I really, I really want. I mean, I've been, I, I know a lot of people are on the Trent Brown you know, Dwayne Brown thing. And I keep saying Eric Fisher uh, is a left tackle guy that I would, I wouldn't mind bringing in. I think he'd be much cheaper than probably both those guys. And uh, I think he plays probably just as well. And then, you know, JC Treader center, I'd love to see, get him in um, just kind of get that offensive line going a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time, I guess, after the rush trade, really seeing where the direction they're going. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I really hope that, uh, I hope that, that, you know the draft; they knock it out of the park. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding my faith in in uh, the organization right now. I don't know how you're feeling about that, but for me, I'm I'm having a hard time feeling that. I mean, I, I suppose Adam, before I bring you in, I, I think my feeling is is that it's I'm probably in wait and see mode for now. I don't think it's been a terrible start to free agency, but I'm I have some concerns because. They have, they're running out of cap space and they've signed a, a lot of, of players and they have this tendency of signing short-term contracts in Seattle. So or, or they very rarely sort of backload contracts in the way that they should do, which means that once you start to sign these players, and we're talking about players like Quinton Jefferson here and Will Disley, who, yeah, okay, they're okay depth players. But you sign a, uh, players like that and you suddenly realise that you've got about 5 to $10 million to spend and you haven't got an offensive tackle who can start on the roster. And I appreciate why that is. The offensive tackle market's been quiet as anything. Terran, it's just been revealed in the last couple of months that Terran Armstead's taking a visit to Miami. I mean, he was like the number one free agent on a lot of these boards and articles that people do. And he, it's taken him a week to go and have a visit with somebody. I mean, this is how how cold the offensive tackle market is. But from a Seahawks perspective, it worries me a little bit that, okay, you've signed a, a tight end, um, a blocking tight end and a rotational defensive lineman, who neither of which are, are going to tilt the field for you in a draft that is loaded with tight ends and defensive linemen, but you don't have a starting offensive tackle on the roster. So if they get that done, Robbie, I think fair play. It's it's not a terrible start to what is undoubtedly a rebuild. But if they don't get those signings done, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Adam, how would you assess the roster so far, or the roster moves so far? I think it depends on how you want to frame, or you use the word rebuild there. I mean, if you trade your quarterback and you get rid of your generational defensive player performance, you know, related or otherwise, Ultimately, you are entering into some sort of period of at least transition whereby things have to, you know, be 
tweaked or rebuilt, whatever phrase you want to use. My view has always been we should only be signing players that can help build the next championship team in Seattle. And I think my slight concern at the moment is, are they really trying their, are they going to actually try their best to win this year and end up in a position where they don't go into twenty the, the 23 season with a really good chance to build a championship roster? Because for me, they've got a position with capital and space that you know they can never say this out loud. But if they can put everything in place that you then get the quarterback in 2023 with that draft capital you've got, because it doesn't appear to be that the next great generational franchise quarterback is, is going to come out of this draft, then I'd be fine with it. But I, I'm slightly concerned that, you know, with, with Schneider and Carroll saying they we're trying to win freaking football matches and, you know, trying to do things now that we're going to end up in this position where we end up with a seven and 10 team and the Broncos maybe make the playoffs and our sort of two first round picks aren't as valuable as they may be next year. And obviously we're trying to talk about this year, but for me, the NFC Championship game 2023 is my target and everything that we're doing should be focused around that. And I'm not quite sure that the direction is as pointed as that at the moment. I think at the moment they look, they've got all the hallmarks of a, a team that's going to be picking in the top three. And I think that's even with, you know, the draft picks that are coming up. And I, I think you'd have, to, I, I genuinely think they're going to do very, very well to come out of this draft without really improving their team. It is such a good draft. They have so many picks that I think even a team that has not drafted particularly well over the last few years will come out of this having significantly improved their roster. So I think there is some cause for optimism there. But at the same time, if they fail to address certain positions before they get to the draft, I, I think it, it's a little bit concerning. Uh, and, and we have to remember that Drew Locke at the moment is going to be the starting quarterback. And I don't really see a pathway to a major upgrade there because even if they were to draft, let's say they do something crazy and they really believe that Malik Willis is, is a future franchise quarterback and take him at number nine, he isn't going to be starting this year. So they're going to end up sort of drafting very, very early. And then that in itself causes an issue because then you've spent a top 10 pick on a quarterback. You still end up picking early. And what if there's a better quarterback available the following year? Do you really want to have wasted the number nine overall pick when you should have just been patient for a year and built other areas of your team? So you've, you've kind of got, I, I don't know, I, I'm kind of in this wait and see mode. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it. I'd be. A lot more comfortable if they just signed Dwayne Brown and Trent Brown today and just got that done, frankly. Because part of my issue with the Seahawks is they've too often gone into the draft and with a glaring weakness. And sometimes that glaring weakness has still been there after the draft. Last year it was centre and cornerback. The year before it was pass rush. I don't want to go into this draft with the Seahawks feeling at number nine we have to take an offensive tackle because... The offensive tackles who are in this draft, that I can't buy into them. I, I don't think Charles Cross is as good as people are saying. I don't know if either of you two have watched any of, of his play. I don't think he is a future franchise left tackle who is going to be a you know a, a blue chip player. I think that Trevor Penning. I have concerns about Trevor Penning because I think he's. To me, he feels a little bit like he's trying too hard to be a tough guy. I, I thought watching his behavior at the senior bowl, 
it looked like he was trying to show off a little bit. Look at me. I'm having a fight with everyone. Aren't I tough? I don't think he's as tough as perhaps that made out. So I don't really want to go in that direction. I want us to come out of this draft with a terrifying pass rush. That's what I want. This is the draft to create a fantastic front seven. I would be going into it thinking, I want to get a pass rusher. I want to get a great defensive tackle. And I want to get a linebacker who can replace Bobby Wagner for the next 10 years. Because you can do all three of those things. It is not a pipe dream. There are multiple defensive tackles, multiple pass rushers. I'm led to believe that some teams think there are nine pass rushers in this draft that warrant a first-round grade. So if you want a pass rusher, you can get a pass rusher. And boy, do they need one. Because as I like the Achenna and Wosu signing, but they've also cut Carlos Dunlap. So you need somebody else in there as well. You really do. So I want to make sure that you're going into that draft with a focus on defense and not taking uh, what I would say a reach at number nine on an offensive tackle just because you need one. I want to really avoid that. But I mean, what is the chance, Robbie? They are running out of money. Other teams, and I made this point on Twitter earlier, it seems like every year the New Orleans Saints are like $80 million over the cap. And then somehow when the league year begins, they're back to zero. And it happens every year. And they never have any issues with that. They don't have to ever get rid of Cam Jordan or or Ryan Ramchick. I mean, they're in the Deshaun Watson hunt, for crying out loud. They, they're seemingly that close to getting Deshaun Watson. How could they have afforded that with their cap situation? The Rams are another example. Oh, do you know what? We've, we've spent this money on it. We've given Matt Stafford a new contract. We're going to give Aaron Donald a new contract. We've kept Jalen Ramsey. We're signing all these players. What's that? Von Miller's gone somewhere else. Oh, we'll just sign Alan Robinson for, for an absolute fortune. You know, other teams seem to be able to make their cap go further than Seattle. It feels like Seattle constricts itself too much. I'm not really sure why when you go into this free agency period with $120 million slated for next year, you can afford to sort of use some of that to your advantage right now. I wish they would to sort out these two offensive tackle positions. But how likely is it when they're not even being linked with players like Lael Collins and Terran Armstead? They're only being linked to Trent Brown. There's been no talk of Dwayne Brown coming back at all. It's been stone cold quiet in that regard. So what are the chances of the Seahawks actually addressing this and then going into the draft to add and build rather than replace? Well, they have, they still have room to work with in their cap, right? So there's players they can still release. Um, it's running out though, Robbie. Yeah, it is. I mean, their cap space is running out now, but they have players that they can they can let go still. That that that'll give them a couple mil extra here and there. The problem I see is that I I feel like they we said this: if you trade Russell Wilson, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan if you're going to trade your franchise quarterback. I don't see the plan, or I don't understand the plan. I guess that's what it is. I don't understand what they're doing and why they haven't went out and and, and addressed some of these needs earlier. Um, and like you said, there's, 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 you know, there's, there's still time to, to sign some of these guys and, and the market may have been a little colder than maybe we have suggested. But the, the, the problem I have is every single year we do this, Rob, you lay out this beautiful plan that I get all excited about. I'm like, Oh God, draft all these guys. Yes. This is the guy I want. And I get all hyped on it. And then as soon as the draft comes, we either trade back and all of a sudden we're picking someone that I'm like, who? Well, we didn't even study this guy. I don't know anything about him. Or, you know, it's just some sort of head scratcher that you're just like, why? When there's all these amazing players on the board. So um, 
I, I'm kind of in that fluctuating period where I'm waiting to see how they actually draft. And I'm hoping that they knock it out of the park. And like you said, there's a lot of good players. I just don't want us to be like scratching our head. Like, why did they take that one player? That's not, not who it should have been, you know? On the cap, they have about, at the moment, they've got about 10 million in, in effective cap space. You know, that's there's about 10 million that they can realistically go and spend. And people are saying, well, they could cut Jason Myers. I I don't know. The way that Carroll has talked about Myers over the years, I just get the sense that they aren't going to cut Jason Myers. I think it would have been done by now if they were going to do that. I don't think Carroll fancies going into the great unknown and the kicking situation again. I think he's going to give Myers the benefit of the doubt for last season because the year before... He didn't miss a field goal, did he? So I think they're going to just roll with Myers for one more year. And I, and I don't see them cutting him to save $4 million. So with the $10 million, that includes the money that Dunlap is going to save when eventually that... If you go on any of these websites, when the, um, the Jefferson and the Diggs money goes into the system for over the cap, for example, it will, sh- it will be lower than you expect because the Dunlap money is not going to kick in until June the 1st. But they've can, they've essentially got five million to spend there, so it is about ten million. If let's just assume, for the purpose of this example, that Myers stays, the only other moves that I can see which will gen, genuinely save them money are Chris Carson would save them three point one million if they were to cut him. That's possible, but then I don't know what the injury settlement would be like if he is not healthy. So that's going to cost you some money. They could cut. Hugo uh, Amadi and save two and a half million dollars. I would suggest that's probably worth doing because he didn't show anything last year and he's not worth two and a half million dollars. And they could sell Adam's best mate, Nick Bellore, uh and, and save one and a half million dollars. Um, but apart from that, they don't have a great deal of options. There's not sort of one player who, you know, short of getting rid of Puna Ford, there's not really one player who's going to produce a huge chunk of, of salary cap space now. I mean, if they trade DK Metcalf, they will save, let me just work this out, they will save nearly $4 million as well. Maybe we'll come on to trading DK Metcalf a little bit later on. But what it shows, Adam, is they have a little bit of room to play with, but not a lot. I I, I would have thought that let's let's just give them, let's be generous and say there's $15 million to spend here. Is that enough to bring Dwayne Brown back and bring Trent Brown in? I'm not sure that it is. Look, for me, the, the horse has probably already bolted in the sense of what you can do. I mean, they've made their decisions to bring back Quandre Diggs and put all that money into the safety room. You know, some would say that's fine. Wouldn't have necessarily been the way that I'd have gone about it, but who the hell am I? Um, the Will Disley thing, tricky. But I think I think Davis, as you said uh, a while ago, that you've got to treat your roster like a like an aeroplane carriage and you've got a certain amount of guys that can sit in first class who you give contracts to and the rest uh sort of guys that are hoping to get into first class at some point and my worry is that we're paying an awful lot of players who are just good um and there's a lot of money wrapped up in good and there's not an awful lot of blue chip talent on the roster and if you kind of look at the teams that are winning championship games and winning Super Bowls it's the best players in the league that are doing it I know this is super reductive and you know this doesn't really help the discussion about cap or whatever but I don't know having traded the quarterback having got rid of Bobby Wagner for me this was the opportunity to you know scrap down and start again um, and make it a two-year plan and I'll probably keep going back to this as as the two-year plan thing and 
I don't know. It just kind of feels like they're going to end up building a roster that can win a few more games than than kind of you'd ideally want going into a, a, a year where you've got two first round draft picks and two second round draft picks. And I don't really know. I mean, look, my view has always been the same that Pete Carroll and John Schneider shouldn't still be at the team. Um, they are. Um, so you, you kind of have to ride with what they're going to do. And for me, their mentality of, you know, we're going to try and win is almost going to be something that maybe hinders us into the following season. And that's what I'm most concerned about because from a long-term strategic planning perspective, I just don't really see what the plan is to build a championship team. And, yeah. and that's left me a little bit frustrated. I mean, if they, if they were here now and they said, look, we understand what this year is. We understand we're not going to be very good. We're going to take it on the chin and have another off-season next year and a whole bunch of draft picks. And by that point, we may well have a quarterback and we're moving in the right direction. Then I could it would it would fill me with a lot more confidence. But that what they say is the opposite. And that's why I'm a little bit concerned because when they get into this mode of we want to be a championship team, we want to compete, we, we're not going to take a year off, that's when they start trying to fill out roster holes and stuff like that. And that's why I worry about the offensive tackle being a target at number nine when it shouldn't be. Because if they said we're we're just gonna we know we're not gonna be good and we just want to see what we've got from Stone Forsyth and Jack Kerhan, for example, I can live with that. I'm 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 I don't it's it's not what I really want, but if you want to have a look at those guys and see if they're the answer, then fine. Sign a cheap two million dollar backup right tackle and sign, you know, some aging competition for the left tackle position and let's just crack on with it that that's fine and maybe that's what they're going to do but if you are saying well we want to be competitive and we want to do what adam's saying which is essentially just win a few more games than we should do then i want to see them actually go out and prioritize the tackle and for me the, the going out and signing the two browns is as much about making sure they're not tempted to do something stupid in the first round of the draft than it is actually sort of any hope or ambition for this year because let's let's put it this way: not only do they only have a you know let's say about 50, ten to fifteen million dollars to bring in two tackles, they don't have any money if they sign those two tackles. They don't have any money for any quarterbacks. I mean, people are talking about Baker Mayfield and stuff like this. How on earth are they going to fit eighteen million dollars on the cap to secure him? Even if Cleveland said, "Well, we'll give you, we'll take ten million dollars on that if you give us a pick," the Seahawks haven't got eight million to spend on Baker Mayfield, let alone you know anything else. So. It's it's really hard to know how they're going to square this out, and it almost look maybe Carol just feels like he has to put on a front when he speaks that he has to make it sound like they're in full competition mode because it's not within him to sort of embrace a rebuild. Perhaps that's true, and to some extent that's understandable, but it also puts a lot of pressure on himself because then fans are sort of going, "Well, I expect us to do better. I expect more than Drew Locke." I expect you to go and sign an offensive line that isn't... I mean, right now, a lot of people are saying Pete Carroll and John Schneider don't know how to build an offensive line. Right now, the offensive line is Forsyth at left tackle. It's Lewis and Jackson at guard, Blythe at centre, and Curhan at right tackle. That look, that's got all the hallmarks of a bottom five offensive line. And look, the dead money is definitely having an issue. The Seahawks are paying a lot of dead money this year. But, you know, Adam, you were saying... They're spending a lot of money on on kind of players who are not elite players. Let me just read you the list of Seattle's top cap hits as we stand here today. And, and this is remarkable, frankly. 
So their highest, their biggest cap hit this year is Puna Ford on just over 10 million. Second highest paid player in terms of cap hit is Tyler Lockett with 10 million. Jamal Adams is 9 million. Then you've got Gabe Jackson, 9 million. Shelby Harris, 7.9. And Wosu, 6.2. Carson, 6.1. Myers, 5. Will Disley, 4.5. Your punter, 4.3 million. And then DK Metcalf, 4.3. And Austin Blythe, 4. They're your highest paid players. I, I mean, if they are your highest paid players in terms of cap hit this year, if that was another team, I would be saying their odds on for the number one overall pick next year. Probably. That's a sad list. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, listen, this is this is my fear. You brought up the Baker Mayfield thing. Listen, I hope they don't trade for a quarterback. Like I would, I'm okay. Build up the roster this year with other pieces. Keep your draft picks. Do not trade your draft picks for any more players. Keep them. Let's try to build up the build up the roster and get that quarterback next year. If you want to see what you got in Drew Lock, fine, go for it. But here's here's the problem I have: Why spend the money on a on a on a Dwayne Brown who's thirty nine, going to be forty? Or wait, is he is he over that? I don't even know how he's he's up there. Why even spend the money on him? I would bring bring someone in if you want to offset that. Like maybe you could get an Eric Fisher who's thirty one, um, you know, for a three a three year deal, and maybe you, this this first year is a small cap hit, and then and then you you know, take a bigger cap hit the next year and the following year. If you, you know, backload that instead of front load the, 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 the money, you could actually get a left tackle who could, who could benefit your team going forward. Um, and same with Trent Brown. I know I understand the Trent Brown aspect. He's 27. He's a younger guy, but I think that's what they're going to have to do. If they're going to want to bring him in, they can't give him 8 million a year this year. We're wasting all our money. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm one of my biggest fears though, Rob is, is like kind of what you said that they have their eyes on, on Malik Willis or someone like that. And that the number nine pick is going to be a quarterback starting to become that, that, cause I don't see any other reason. Um, they, I, I mean, I, I'm having a hard time buying what Pete Carroll says, says now, like he says a lot of things that, you know, sorry, you, get, you know, he says all the right things that I think people want to hear, but I don't know if I necessarily believe him anymore on the things that he says. So Stuff. I mean, on Malik Willis, and look, we're going to come back to this in, in, in a bit, and I want to propose something to you guys and see if you think this sounds like a reasonable plan for the draft as well. But um, can I just say, I, I don't think there's any chance they're going to take a quarterback in number nine after speaking to Scott McLuhan, who I, I just cannot... The way he described it, he said three quarterbacks are going to go in the first round, and he said all of them should go in the third round. And I think if he says that, I can't imagine John Schneider going, actually, I'm going to take one in number nine overall. That just seems to fly in the face of what I, I, I can't believe they'd be too so contrasting in their opinions that it would, it would get that way. And I think what is going to happen with this draft class is that the quarterbacks are going to stay on the board. They're not going to go in the top 10. When you get to sort of the Pittsburgh area, the New Orleans area, we may see some come off the board. Teams will talk themselves into it. And also that area is a quite strange area in the draft because you sort of miss out on the first, you know, what, what I would say are the, the, the true, you know, desirable players in the draft, which are going to go in maybe the top 15. And then you get into a point where that you're in no man's land. You're not getting the value that's going to come from, let's say, 30 to 60. You're kind of stuck in this no man's land. And those teams might go, well, what the heck? You know, if you're Pittsburgh, why not take Malik Willis there? If you're New Orleans, why not take Kenny Pickett and have a go? 
You know, it's what what have you got to lose? You know, just take a chance on them. That's when I think they're going to come off the board. I don't think Willie Fleetwood. Sure, hope you're right, man. And no, I, 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 I think so. I mean, I look. I'm, I can't say with any certainty. Willis has got traits and tools. Um, but here's the, you know, as we said before, you know, if you pick Malik Willis, he ain't going to play this year. Mm-hmm. So, but then how do you, you know, good luck to Drew Locke. Sort of, if he comes in and plays badly, you're going to have all this pressure to play Willis before he's not ready. It's going to be a disaster zone. I can't imagine the Seahawks going to walk into this. I think they'll take a quarterback later on. But can I just say before I bring Adam back in, go and check out the Scott McLuhan interview, which is on YouTube, it's on Apple, and it's on. Spotify. In fact, it's on all of the podcasts. If you wherever you get your podcast now, you can find uh, the Rebuild of Seattle Seahawks podcast. I, in in total, it's got about five thousand listens, which I'm very pleased about. Um, on YouTube, it has two and a half thousand. There are random Seahawks fans talking about the re-signing of Kyle Fuller, who have three times as many listens as the Scott McLuhan interview. Go and listen to the Scott McLuhan interview. I'm guarantee you, it is more interesting than a random dude pontificating about Kyle Fuller coming back as competition to play at centre. I promise you. I think it's very, very interesting. Got a couple of super chats to come in, but but Adam, on the you know on, on the current state of the city, you know, they they have to uh, in the coming years, they have to be spending their money better, don't they? They have to make they've got a great chance with the cap reset because of Wilson going. And the, and the chances of a rookie quarterback eventually taking over a cheap quarterback, they've got to get that right, haven't they, in this rebuild? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, when run it back was the phrase that was uh, touted so many times in December, January, run it back, you know, give it one more time. And I'm interested to know what, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of it at the time. I, I don't want to keep saying what I would have done with the head coach. It's getting boring. But, I wonder how many people signed up for run it back on the contingency that the quarterback was going to be there, because that's kind of what we all thought was going to have was going to be Pete, John and Russ last dance, run it back one more time. And I'm interested to know how many people have changed their mind on like, well, if run it back meant that Wilson wasn't going to be there, because if you read between the lines of all of the, the information and the press conferences from Pete Carroll, you know, Russell Wilson wasn't going to sign a contract in Seattle he wasn't going to sign a contract to play for Pete Carroll and John Schneider by the sounds of things. Like it was the Carroll and Schneider thing as opposed to the uniform in the city that meant Russell Wilson wasn't going to stay. So we're in a position where run it back has happened without probably the piece that I would say is the one that's most likely to win you a championship. So yeah, we can say, you know, they need to do better. They need to do this. They need to do that, but they've needed to do that for the last eight years and they haven't. Um, and it's quite rare. I'm trying. I've been thinking about this episode a lot in in the last weekend and what we're going to say. And can you think of anyone in professional sport that has won a championship as a coach or a team builder, then ultimately been in championship wilderness for eight years, and then gone and won it again? I mean, I know that Belichick had a big gap with the Patriots, but they lost two Super Bowls, so they were you know a drop pass here, a catch here from winning the championship, but. Ultimately, it would be almost unprecedented for it to happen as far as I can think. And so, I don't know, like I'm pretty flat about the whole thing just because I don't believe in the direction that Jody Allen has taken the franchise in in the offseason. And so that ultimately is what shapes most of my views in the sense of, well, it's not going to work because it hasn't in the last eight years when they had amazing talent to do it with. 
Mm. I, 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 I completely understand where you're coming from, Adam. I think personally, I'm, I, like I said at the start, I'm choosing to wait and see just because I think for me personally, I will get more enjoyment out of being a Seahawks fan by seeing what they do and sort of discussing what they're going to do. And and you've been really energized, like in your articles. Yeah. I, can, I can hear your voice in your articles coming through as much more excited than you have been when we had a quarterback, which is kind of an anathema to what you'd expect <laughs> yeah. to be from a, from a football team. I totally yeah. agree with that. And, and But the thing is, is that what I do think has been a bit of an issue in Seattle is, I, and I think it, it has been sort of the, the war uh, between, I, I shouldn't use that term at the minute, the, the sort of conflict between Wilson and Carroll, where you've got Wilson pushing very hard to do things a certain way and Carroll sticking to his core philosophy. And then they've kind of sort of found some of an unhappy medium, really, whereby uh, Carroll has, has, has given a bit of ground to, to Wilson, but then was always quite willing to just wrestle it back as soon as anything went wrong, as we saw in the 2020 season. Um, and, and and sort of, go, well, we'll go with Shane Waldron because that might appease Wilson a little bit more. I and mean, we'll sign this player because that will appease Russ, rather than sort of thinking, what do I want to do as the head coach? What, this is my call, my philosophy, my ideology. What are we going to do? I think he's always been sort of somewhat handcuffed to what's Russ going to think about this? And on the same page i think wilson was sort of thinking i don't agree with this philosophy but i'm I don't, I don't ideally want to force my way out of this i want to i'll go along with it to an extent and i think that's created an unhappy medium as well so i think now that wilson has gone and that he's going to get to do what he wants to do in denver i think that will be better for him and i think it'll be better for pete carroll to do what he wants to do in seattle plus they've got resources that they haven't had. And I know they've not spent the resources particularly well, but I also, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is a draft where you kind of, you're going to have to go to some lengths to get this wrong because there are so many good players. I think there's going to be multiple teams who come out of this having built a foundation. And I think that the Seahawks are in pretty good spots to, 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 to add some real talent here. So even a somewhat flailing front office over the last few years, I think has got a great chance to to re reset things and, and move in the right direction. Doesn't mean that they're gonna, of course, eventually you're gonna have to get the quarterback decision right. And that's gonna ultimately determine this. If they can strike gold on, and that's the other thing I guess you could say, is that throughout the last few years, things might have gone bad, perhaps in part because of this uncomfortable relationship between Wilson and and, and Carroll and Schneider. Uh, but they haven't had to draft a quarterback and it is the one thing I suppose you could say they've, they've done pretty well. You know, they, they found Russell Wilson in round three. If they can land another franchise quarterback, there's a reasonable chance that they will succeed in this and they will be the outlier of a, of a regime that has flailed and has gone back to the top, I suppose. I suppose you could say that, Robbie. Yeah, I guess my only fear, my I keep saying my only fear, but the real my, uh, the fear that I have is that they, for the longest time, the last few drafts, they felt like they they were the smartest guys in the room and making these decisions that just don't make any sense. So I've hope I, I, I'm hoping by the moves that they've already made by you know trading Russ, uh, you know releasing Bobby, you know doing these things that they feel like are necessary to finally move the organization in the right direction. Again. We're one week into free agency, haven't loved the picks, but maybe they're going to get the draft right. So but my fears are going to have that same mentality of, of because I've seen it time and time again, that they make the wrong choices. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that's not the case this time, but 
you know, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm choosing to try to be a little bit of op, op, optimistic on this just because I want to see them get it right. And, and like Adam said, I, I may not be an optimist. <laughs> you just smile. Maybe I'm not being optimistic at all. But like Adam said, like build a championship roster. This is what I want to see going forward. Don't do something dumb like draft Malik Willis at nine, which I think would be a total fail. Mm. Got some super chats. Uh, Zone 76, big thank you for this very generous super chat. It's time to pull the plug on the Pete and John show. Trade DK now rather than pay him 25 million per year on an extension. Jody really needs to blow this franchise up to move forward. God bless you all. Great job, Rob, Robbie, and Adam. Thank you, Zone76. We'll get on to DK Metcalf in uh, in a little while. Uh, and Juan says, how far does Ajabo last after this injury? Does he last until the Hawks' second round picks? I think there's a chance he, he does, and Juan, because when you have an Achilles injury, it, it it's pretty much... Uh, widely regarded as the worst injury you can have these days and has a, a, a strong potential to go again. So I think that unfortunately for David Ajabo, this may well take him into round two. I still think that maybe someone like the Eagles who've got three first round picks might go, ah, well, do you know what? What the heck? We'll take a chance with that third one and take him. But um, this was a player that was going to need time to reach his potential anyway. And this is going to set him back. So. Yes, I think there is a chance that he could be there in round two. Personally, I, I wouldn't want to take any. I want a player who can play this year. I don't want Daryl Taylor part two, a player who's going to miss his entire rookie season and come back the following year. And I think there are so many edge rushers in this draft that I would rather go in a slightly different direction. And Big Mike's chucked in a fiver as well. Uh, thank you, Big Mike, big supporter of the channel. If you've got a super chat that you want to send in, please feel free. Um, okay, let me just propose this sort of draft this is the idea that i've i've sort of I'm, I'm going to write about this in the week but this is what i want to pitch to you um in terms of the draft this is what is my kind of ideal scenario for this thing i think that getting game impacting defensive linemen should be the key to what the seahawks do here i'm a big fan of jermaine johnson the pass rusher at florida state and think that he's exactly what the seahawks need across from Daryl taylor but I also appreciate there's a decent chance he will be gone at number nine. Um, a lot of people think he's kind of more in that 10 to 20 range. But I think when you test the way he did, you perform at the senior bowl the way he did, you've got the tape and the production that he has. I think there's a chance that he could go to either the Giants at seven or to the Falcons at number eight. Now that they're not trading for Deshaun Watson. So if he is, if he is gone, then I would suggest trading down. I think that you trade down at that point unless you really believe that Derek Stingley is going to be a shutdown cornerback. I think if you believe that, you take him at number nine. If not, bear in mind he's got an injury and didn't test at the combine either. He's got a pro day in early April. I'd move down and I would be targeting, having moved down, either one of the other edge rushers. It depends how they feel about arm length because Boya Maffei's got 32-inch arms. He would be a guy that I'd look at but again, the arm length has been an issue for the Seahawks. What I would rather do in that situation after training down though, guys, is again, the arm length could be an issue here. I would be targeting George's Devontae Wyatt. And there's been a bit of speculation in the last week. Tony Pauline, good friend of the blog, has been suggesting that the LA Chargers want to move up into the top 10 for Jordan Davis. You could maybe move down to number 17, get a third round pick, get something next year. 
They get Jordan Davis at number nine. You move down to 17. I think that's the kind of range where Devontae Wyatt's going to go. For me, Devontae Wyatt is the kind of player who can be a Geno Atkins, a disruptive interior force that the Seahawks have not had at any point during the Carroll era. Yes, he's got 32-inch arms, but he runs in the same kind of range as Atkins. He, Aaron Donald's got 32-inch arms. Geno Atkins has got 32-inch arms. It hasn't stopped them. When you have players who are that quick, that dynamic, good with their hands, powerful, they, that's the kind of player that the Seahawks have not had in a long, long time. I'm not convinced they're going to do this because they've been loading up defensive tackles over the last week, haven't they? But... That's the kind of player that I want. And people go, what about the production? He only had two and a half sacks. Something to remember here, pass rush win percentage. Devontae Wyatt's was 14.5%, which was the second best amongst interior defensive linemen in this class. Only Logan Hall was higher, and Logan Hall's more of an inside-out rusher. That's a better pass rush percentage uh, success than Perry and Winfrey and Travis Jones. And do you know who else it's better than? Better than Jermaine Johnson, better than Trevon Walker, better than DeMarvin Leal. So he creates pressure. It's just that the sacks weren't necessarily there all the time. He's got a great run stop percentage as well of 11.4%, which is far greater than Perry and Winfrey. It's twice as good as Winfrey's. It's twice as good as Travis Jones's. It's twice as good as practically every edge rusher in this draft as you expect as an interior rusher. For me, he is the guy. He is, you know, if you're talking about guys who can be a star at the next level, Devontae Wyatt can be a star. I think he's an eight-year starter who, who teams fear rushing from the interior. And I think you trade down, you get another pick this year in, in a good range of round three, pick next year, you take Devontae Wyatt, and then at 40 and 41, I would take one of the linebackers, my personal preference, Channing Tindall, Leo Chanel, or Damone Clark, and then you take Sam Williams to be your edge rusher. And you come out of that draft and you say, I've got a defensive tackle who's a potential game wrecker. I've got two edge rushers who can get after it with Nwosu and Alton Robinson as backups. And I've got a linebacker who can replace Bobby Wagner and can be dynamic and aggressive and get after opponents. I think if you do that, you have got the framework for a really good defense moving forward. And you've got, they would then have two picks in round three, a pick in round four and two in round five to do more work with. That, to me, is the framework for a rebuild that can have success and take you forward. That, to me, is a plan that will get an A-plus rubber stamp after the draft from me, much more so than forcing a pick at offensive tackle and dabbling in other areas. What do you think, uh, first of all, Robbie? Well, I mean, listen, I was at the Combine, and I, I said right after in our podcast that that, that – you know, the two, two Georgia boys stole the show and, and he was one of them. I think he, he ran a great 40. He, he looked fast. He looked physical. Um, he bent the edges when he was doing the, 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 that drill. And then I really, I really think that's a great plan. If you can get him at 17 to drop down and pick up another third, I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. It really depends on, you know, who is available at nine, but I, I like that a lot better than, like I said, drafting a quarterback at nine. So for me, I'm all in for that. I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a great move. Adam. Yeah, I think we've all bemoaned sort of neglection of the of the trenches, and that that seems like a, a perfectly good uh, way to build it. Ironically, it's all going to end up being sort of like the the team that we've traded Russell Wilson to, 
before they got Russell Wilson in the Denver Broncos and that, you know, you sort of build everything else there and just hope you get the quarterback and just have the hope that it's not a Brock Osweiler or a Paxton Lynch that you eventually spend the big pick on, which I presume is going to happen in, in 2023. That will be the time where they, they use their picks if they package them and, um, you know, to, to really move up Bryce Young. I don't know whoever will, will come through in the next year, but it sounds like a perfectly sound situation and, you know, having young talent on the in, in the trenches is something that they've you know Holton Robinson you know but with the addition of recently of Jordan Brooks um and Daryl Taylor yeah I mean that, that's what we've been been dreaming of for ages yeah I mean I, I for, again it to me it, it just it, it's exciting and I know that you're, you're absolutely right Adam you you run the risk of of being Denver but there's only one thing worse than being Denver pre-Wilson and that's being well, a far weaker version of Denver with no great defense in the, at all. You know, I, I, if nothing else, I'd like within 12 to 24 months to be in that Denver position of going, we just need a quarterback. You know, what I don't want to be is in 12 to 24 months going, well, not only do we need the quarterback, but we haven't got anything else either. I think that you've this has to be a draft of a starting point. And again, because of the way the money has been spent and because of the dead cap money, which has taken up a lot of space this year, and because you don't have 10 first round picks and five second round picks, you you have to sort of pick your poison a little bit here. And and I just think this draft is tailor-made to go and and really improve your, your front seven. And you know, I was talking to Jeff last week and he made a good point that the and it kind of I kind of built on that point as well, which is we all spend so much time obsessing about quarterbacks, don't we? But the teams that have done well in the playoffs and have gone far have also had terrific pass rushing defenses. And and you need both. You know, I think you genuinely need both. And if you can get to the postseason with a good quarterback, a good running game, and a good pass rush, you will generally have success. What the Seahawks don't want to have is, you know, what the Seahawks were was good quarterback crap pass rush and not a lot else a really inconsistent running game and and they never did anything in the postseason and that's and they don't want to go back to that either so to me it just there, there are sort of a few names that you know i think are, are potential stars from this from this first round you know this is just about the first because there are so many options in in the second round or the third round players are going to come out of this draft and they're going to be early starters and i'm convinced that you know, from rounds two to five, you are probably going to get a collection of stars. You know, if you go on Wikipedia and they kind of put the, the pro bowlers in gold and you go down the list. I, I bet in a few years' time, we'll be looking down that list and we'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, look, he was drafted in round three and round four and he's gone on to have a great career. That's what this draft is all about. But strictly in terms of the players in the first round, I think that Kayvon Thibodeau has got a great chance to be a star. Aiden Hutchinson, Jermaine Johnson, Trevon Walker because of his potential and upside. I think Source Guard has got a bit of swagger to him. I, I'm not... I still think Derek Stingley's the best corner in this draft, but there is something about God that you can imagine him being a good quarterback in the next level. Stingley, I think Boya Maffey's got a lot of talent, the two Georgia defensive tackles, and I still think Abraham Lucas has got a chance to be a really good right tackle. I, I, you know, I, I really want to come away with, with somebody that I, you know, the, of that list. And the thing about that, how many 305, 310 pound defensive tackles run like a four, seven something? It's not many. And if it wasn't for Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt would be getting talked up a lot more. I was watching a video earlier today where someone was suggesting that Wyatt could go in the top 10. And, and frankly, if you said to me, Rob, the Silk's going to take Devontae Wyatt at number nine, I would say, fantastic. 
sign me up for that. I don't care. If, if they take him without trading down, I don't care. If Jermaine Johnson goes off at number eight, I would take Wyatt at nine. And if it doesn't work out, there'll be no complaints from me because I think you are taking somebody that this team has badly, badly needed in a long time. Somebody who can collapse the pocket from the interior and it will just make life easier for Daryl Taylor. It'll make life easier for Nwosu. I think you can then go back, circle around and go for a Sam Williams in, in, in round two. There are guys like Dominic Robinson in potentially round three that you could look at there. You know, Maribano as well is, is very fast. He's very raw, but like, what did he run? Like a 4-3 or something, Robbie, at the, the, the combine at 240-odd pounds. You know, there are guys that you can take a little bit later on as projects. But if you get, just get somebody who's like, we're talking about game wreckers, yeah? You know, game wreckers. Devontae Wyatt's a game wrecker potentially up the middle. It might not be an edge, but it's a game wrecker up the middle. And they don't have that. You know, of all the players they've dra- they've signed, you know, the Al Woodsers, the Quinton Jet, they're not game wreckers, are they? They're just rotational guys in the middle. So I'd love to see them go and do something like that. And the one encouraging thing is, is I've kind of been arguing on the blog, they're not going to draft a defensive tackle because they've signed so many defensive tackles. But then I remembered in 2016, they signed a Tom of Rubin back. They brought in Tony McDaniel back that year. They they had a couple of other guys on the roster and they still traded up to draft Jaron Reed because they thought he was a first-round pick. They, they drafted him, I think, at like 49 or something. And if you remember, John Schneider was like, we couldn't believe he was still there. You know, we almost took him in the first round um, and we instead of Jermaine Effetti and they said we traded up to get Jaron Reed. I'm really hoping that they see the potential in Devontae Wyatt. And I, 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 this is a long answer, so I just want to quickly mention this. If you cast your minds back to the 2013, 2014 draft, whenever it was that Aaron Donald came out, a lot of people liked Aaron Donald. But it, what it was like the 12th overall pick. It wasn't like everybody knew Aaron Donald was going to be Aaron Donald. And that's why he lasted. And when people talk and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a yeah, decent pick, that Aaron Donald. No one went, wow, Aaron Donald's gone at number 12. That's incredible. The Rams are now just drafted one of the greatest players to ever play the game. That He wouldn't have lasted. He'd be number one overall pick now, wouldn't he? Just saying, not saying that Devontae Wyatt's going to be Aaron Donald because he isn't. I'm just saying, I've just got this feeling that Wyatt's going to go in a range where in, in three, four, five years' time, we're going to wonder... Why didn't he go a lot earlier? There just aren't many human beings who can do what he can do. And if Jermaine Johnson isn't there, I would be very interested in Devontae White. I think that could take you forward. But I, I just, Robbie, I just don't, I just want to see them add a couple of offensive tackles so that I can feel a bit more relaxed about them actually doing that. Because I just love to see, I, and that, look, forget about everything. Forget about Super Bowls. For a, I know we want to win a Super Bowl. Forget about that. Can we just have a great pass rush in Seattle for you know? Can can we just start with that? If the court, if it's not a great quarterback draft, can we not just at least have a great pass rush? Because that's that's a great starting point, Robbie. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. I mean, it'd be great to have that. I guess <clears throat> some of the things I worry about is some of the moves they've already made. You know, they traded for Shelby Harris, they traded, or and then they signed Quentin Jefferson, and you know some of these moves. And I feel like they might be doing kind of what they did, you know, a few years back, where they're like, well, we got, you know. We brought back Bruce Irving, we got Benson Mayo, and we're good at defensive end, you know, and then it was clearly wasn't. And I'm worried this, that they might look at that and, and, and feel the same way. Um, but I mean, I would not be upset if they took Wyatt at, at number nine at all. I mean, it'd be, I think it'd be a fantastic pick. And like I said, 
I saw him at the combine and, and he, he blew me away just by his, by everything that he was able to do, how well he ran, how well he moved. He looked like an absolute beast. So I think it would be a fantastic pick. Special player. You know, the, the Seahawks love traits. There's special qualities, don't they? What does a player do that's unique? Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis are thoroughly unique. They are the definition of unique talents. That's what's exciting about players like that. I wouldn't mind drafting anybody from Georgia this year. No, but here's the thing. I really like Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson is not a unique athlete. There there are Jermaine Johnsons in in pretty much every draft, okay? There aren't Devontae Whites and Jordan Davises in every draft. There really aren't. I mean, if you want to get, if you want to take a chance on greatness, I think these are the kind of players that you have to consider. And look, training down, if they get a Boyer Mafia or something like that, yeah, okay, fine. You know, I'll make an argument for that. Is Boya Mafia going to be special? He could be. He could be, I think he could be a Ziggy Ansa type player. But Devontae Wyatt could be that rare gem, Adam. That, you know, and there aren't many other, you know, those elite interior pass rushing players. I mean, there just aren't very many of those. If you can get one, it can be a game changer. The Rams are, are not a contender with Matt Stafford and Jared Goff and Sean McVay without Aaron Donald, are they? No, absolutely not. And I think ultimately, whatever happens with that ninth pick, I mean, if it's a quarterback, which I don't think it will be, as you say, but if it is, I would play that quarterback for 17 games to see what you have. Because I think the the importance, even if Malik Willis isn't ready, in inverted commas, well, let's know at the end of the year if he was ready to play or not, because then at least we know going forward. Putting that to one side, whatever happens with that ninth pick, you know, we just went through the list of all the players that the Seahawks have paid that are just good. Um, and you know, recently in drafts, you know, Jordan Brooks, Darrell Taylor, they're not that they're they're obviously very good players, but they're not ones that you know. We're, we're going to talk about DK Metcalf at some point, and we're thinking, oh bloody hell, we've got to pay him twenty five million dollars. It's actually a good thing. Like it's it's good to draft players that in a couple in after their first two years, you're like, oh my god, they're going to cost us a fortune going forward. And really, that's what I want from the ninth pick. Wherever it is, what position, I want someone that when we're sitting here talking in 12 months' time, we're going to say, bloody hell, he will pick up his option and in three years' time, he's going to cost us an absolute fortune. For me, whatever position that is, because there's not huge depth all over the roster at this stage, That give me that give me that player. So I'll defer to you on who you think is the most likely for that. But, you know, that, that's what I want. You know, that ninth pick needs to be cornerstone of the franchise because we're not going to get the chance to do this again, hopefully. So we have to make it work. Yeah. Shoot for the stars. Go for greatness. That's what, and, and, the and thing I'd about rather this, have a player that fails trying yes. for greatness as opposed to, uh, I don't want to say another Jordan Brooks because that sounds harsh, but he's not going to be someone that we're fretting yeah. over playing going forward. That This is a great point, Adam, because... Trevor Penning, for example, is Trevor Penning ever going to be one of the elite left tackles in the NFL? No, I don't think so. Is Charles Cross? No. Could Devontae Wyatt be? Yes. It could be a fantastic elite defensive tackle. And that's and, and for me, that that is, you, you, you get a, a building block there. Somebody who could be really, really good. Um, and DK Metcalf fell to wherever he fell because of whatever reason, the neck injury, the three comb, whatever it was. But you knew he had special traits. He had special rare qualities. You take a chance on that. And, you know, it doesn't always work out, Kristen Michael. But it, in generally, it, you've, you've given yourself a chance to, to add somebody really, really good. And I'd like to see them do that again. 
Now, I want to ask you about DK Metcalf because for me, and there's a few other things I want to get to before we finish as well, but DK Metcalf in particular, if you type in DK Metcalf's name on Twitter, it's just an assortment of Jets fans and Eagles fans and Packers fans saying trade for him. Some some people saying, I I watched a, a Packers video the other day where they said, maybe we could get him for a second and Jordan Love. And I thought, you know what, I, I have to stop watching videos like this because they're, you know, they're going to drive me insane. There is no way that that would be an acceptable offer for a 24-year-old player like DK Metcalf. We, we, I mean, for me, it's, it, it, it'd be like a, a top first-round pick or a first and a second or a couple of high, like the Jets have got, I think, like 35 and 38, like both of those picks. That's what it would take for a DK Metcalf. I would rather though, get to a point in the next couple of weeks, guys, where you sit down with DK Metcalf and you go, what are we going to do here? Are we going to do a deal? Are we going to do the Devontae Adams deal, which is $22 million a year, and get it done now and just nip this in the bud and have you signed up as a, as a cornerstone for this, for this team? Or are we going to trade you? What would you like to do? I'd like to make that call right now because that receiver market is not going to get any cheaper. There's no point waiting another year. There's no point. So do it now. Get him signed up or... Get what you can, because I get the sense there is a good market out there. You can get good picks. That's what, that's how I would approach it, Robbie. And I would sort this out one way or another in the next fortnight. Yeah, I think I'm kind of torn. Like if someone comes to me and like the Jets say they want to give up the 10th pick and something else, uh, another high pick. I don't know. I Part of me wants to keep DK and, and see what he can do. And, and you know, you want to bring in a quarterback that's going to have targets and someone to throw to. And, and you know, we, we, I feel like we've, we've been waiting for DK for a long time. We've been swinging and missing on big targets um, quite often. And, and we finally got someone who has the potential to be a game breaker. Um, you know, I, he still has his issues. You know, he, he drops the ball a lot. You know, and I see a lot of people saying, you know, trade lock it and stuff, but I'd rather kind of keep these guys to see, you know, for the next quarterback who's going to come in to have some good receivers. You've got that, that game experience on the flip side of that. If you were going to give me the 10th pick and something else, and you're talking, you know, about these game record defensive players that you can snag. I mean, it seems like all these wide receivers getting huge contracts. I don't know if the Seahawks are going to be willing to give up 25 million for DK Metcalf. Is he worth that much? I'm not really sure. That's a, that's a tough tough one to tough one to swallow. Well, you see, the thing is, I don't see why it would cost 25 because the the real truth of the Devontae Adams contract is it's 22 million, and he's the best receiver in the NFL. So I think that you could genuinely go to D, and I would go to DK and say, look, the market is what it is. Is he worth four million more than Christian Kirk? Yes, get it done. Sign him up. Have that done. Tack on four years to his his last year of his deal at 22 million dollars a year average. You're not paying a quarterback now. I would do that. And you, and you sort it out once and for all, Adam. Um, but if he says, actually, I don't want to commit. I want to see how it goes over the next year. And then I want to see what you're going to do at quarterback. And I'm not sure if I want to be here. That's when I say, well, OK, then we're going to answer the phone to Green Bay, to Philadelphia, to the New York Jets. And you don't have a no trade clause. So you you may end up in with the Jets. You may end up with the Packers. Who knows? We're, but we, we hold the cards here. And you move on and you get what you can. And there is some, I look, this is an unbelievable receiver draft as well. So if you've moved on from DK Metcalf, I mean, I've been pushing Kevin Austin Jr. at Notre Dame. I think he's fantastic. I think he's the first round player who's going to go in uh, round two uh, or three. And I think he's fantastic, but I could list 
20 more who I think could be really worth drafting. So it's not the end of the world if you move on from him. But he's a 24-year-old player. Adam, they're the kind of players you want to build around. So I think ideally you keep him. However, do you agree with this plan? You know, you talk to him over the next fortnight and you make a call either way. Well, I was at uh, Cheltenham on Thursday uh, when the DK uh, the uh, Devontae Adams trade came down. There is a point to this, but I was probably nicely lubricated on uh, a few too many Guinnesses uh, when when the trade exactly Robbie, went. It has to be this has to be done if you are going to a, a horse race. You may not know what Cheltenham is. It's a horse racing uh, on St Patrick's Day, of course. Week, as well, weekend so. it lasts a few days. It's a festival of horse racing. And he you, said Guinness. I love a good Guinness. So you're I, I don't, I don't know what horse racing is like in America, but basically <laughs> it's just an excuse to get absolutely hammered over here. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I certainly, uh, you know, lived up to the expectation there. But I was texting with uh, like a Seahawk uh, beat journalist during, during when, the, when the trade came down. And I said, like, I wouldn't even let the contract dry of Devontae Adams. Like, don't let the ink dry before getting a contract in front of DK Metcalf. Because ultimately, every conversation he has with his agent, his family, the price is only going one way, unfortunately. And uh, it's not down. Um, and if you're not going to pay him now, take the two first round picks that I think you could probably get from from a, a desperate team. Um, now, I wouldn't want to do that. My, my preference is that you keep your best players. We've gone through this whole hour um, of saying that, you know, we haven't got enough great players that we're paying. And if you get rid of DK Metcalf, you could argue there isn't a, a star on the whole roster. Um, and I think you can probably say from the last few years of the NFL that you need three good wide receivers to be competitive. Now, no fan maybe comes into that, but there aren't many good teams that don't have three very competent pass catchers out there. So, you know, to get rid of one that you know is going to be good to draft one and, you know, the wide receiver draft can be so erratic as we've seen over the last few years that I don't know. I mean, my, my, my preference would clearly be to pay the guy if it's going to be around that Devontae Adams number. If he says, I want $30 million a year, then no, of course, you're, you're, you're going to pass him on. No, I think it's an interesting one. I just want it resolved. I don't want a year of... I mean, we've just finished one saga. I don't want another saga. I don't think there's any benefit to waiting out 12 months and doing what you do with Frank Clark, franchising him and then trading him. I think, make a call now and know where you are. If, if this is going to be a huge, massive rebuild, get on with it and, and just sort of take those picks, especially in this draft as well. And funnily enough is... In this draft, guys, I mean, like, if, if you said, could I have Jet number 10 from the Jets or 35 and 38 from the Jets, I would actually take 35 and 38 because I, I would rather pick twice the top of round two than have the 10. And then I know you can trade back from 10, but, you know, you, you trade back from 10 and you're necessarily going to get, in the end, the value of two high second round picks. And I think with the two second round high pick, high second round picks, I'm going to put my teeth in, I think you get two exceptional players there rather than maybe one player who you're going to get in a range that you're not sold on. But at the same time, if you said to me you could get Justin, uh, Jermaine Johnson and Devontae White at, at 9 and 10, that would both be very, very appealing. And of course, if you want to draft an offensive tackle early, if you've sold yourself on that, but you still want to get a defensive lineman, I suppose I mean 9 and 10 would do it as well. But I, I guess, I would guess that rather than the Jets, it would probably more likely be a Green Bay team but the thing about the Jets is whenever I do a mock draft, it's very easy to put a player with the Jets at number four. It's almost impossible to work out what the hell they're going to do at number 10. So they might well decide they want to, they want to make a trade for someone like Metcalf. 
few super chats to catch up with before we get on to a final couple of topics. Ty Tice has any chance the Hawks take Sauce or Davis at nine? I, I know I think there's a chance, but the Seahawks have not drafted a cornerback earlier than the, the end of round three. So, you know, you have to bear that in mind when you're projecting these things with Davis is a nose tackle of the future who's not really a pass rusher, as freakish as he is, is that somebody that, that you invested at nine? Potentially, but I, I'm inclined to think it, it's perhaps unlikely. Perhaps unlikely. If they had great pass rushers, like the, the Chargers have got everything. They just haven't got a nose tackle. If the Seahawks were in that position, I'd say yes, but they haven't got the pass rushers. Uh, this from Cyrus says, Fitzmagic is the goat of tanks. He makes it fun, slings the deep ball, and is cheap. He is. The thing about... Uh, Fitzmagic is, I don't know if anybody saw him at the Bills playoff game, but he looked like he'd he'd been on the beer and the burgers for about three months when he was at that game. He, he was carrying a bit of timber. So I, maybe you can shift it again. Um, I mean, I've been on a diet since January and I've lost a stone. I, the Americans won't know what I'm on about and not lost any any sort of that muscle mass. So maybe you can go on that kind of diet and do it. I'm, that was not, I, I didn't mean to boast about that, by the way. That sounded horrendous. I'm going to cut that bit out of the podcast. Um, and Ty Ty says, I see a lot of Matt Forte in Brees Hall. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. I've been calling Brees Hall Michael Flatley because the way that his legs move because it's a little bit like he's in Riverdance. Uh, if you've got a super chat that you want to chuck in, there's another one here. Jason says, do you guys think the ugly optics of cutting Bobby, trading Wills, and then having to start Drew freaking Locke could influence them to go quarterback at nine? No, because I think that would be making it even worse. That would be... Even worse than all of those things would be forcing a quarterback pick at number nine. I don't think they're going to do that unless they truly believe that somebody like Malik Willis is the is the next Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Then I I don't think they're going to to do that. I think what they're going to do is at some point they are going to add another veteran, probably Geno Smith, maybe somebody else. Um, and they'll, they'll roll with what they've got for this year. I think that's what's going to happen. On the topic of quarterbacks, guys, because we do have to talk about this quickly, um, the Baker Mayfield stuff. Now, I've already mentioned that they, they don't have the cap at the moment to sign Baker Mayfield. I can't believe some of the stuff I've read and listened to over the last few days. People saying, oh, a, a second-round pick or a third-round pick for Baker Mayfield. The Browns have no – they don't just have no – they have less than zero leverage. They've just paid Deshaun Watson like a fully guaranteed $250 million. They cannot go into the new season with Baker Mayfield in the quarterback room, having, you know, called him a child to Chris Mortensen and having brought in Deshaun Watson. The last person they want in that in that QB room in, in camp is Baker Mayfield. I guarantee if Baker Mayfield is still here by OTAs, he is coming into that building. And he is causing some SHIT if, if he's still on that. that is, he is going to do that. So they have to get rid of Baker Mayfield. Apart from the fact that they, he's, they're gonna, they owe him a guaranteed $18 million, they have a zero leverage. As Michael Lombardi was very rightly saying yesterday, they should be giving teams a pick to take Baker Mayfield, let alone getting a second or a third. It's an absolute nonsense that anyone's going to pay uh, them any kind of like day two pick for Baker Mayfield. It's going to... They, they will, it'll be a Robert Woods-style trade if there is one. And I'm not sure who's queuing up to get him. And Browns might have to eat some of the salary to get rid of him as well. In fact, they might have to say, we'll pay $15 million if you give us a fourth-round pick. 
they might have to do something like that to get him out the door because they have to get him out the door. There is no salvaging this. They have to remove Baker Mayfield from their roster. So all this nonsense about Seattle or Indianapolis giving away a high pick is ridiculous. If they were essentially giving him away, Robbie, would you entertain this? Yes or no? No, I already said I think keep your draft picks. Can, I don't can, I just want... say, can I just say, this comment is exactly what I'm talking about. No, he will not. They are not spending a third-round pick on Baker Mayfield. Carry on, Robbie. No, yeah, I think you keep your draft picks. I, I don't want to trade for a quarterback. I, I, there's no one out there. You know, I've seen the names, you know, you know, when Matt Ryan was being floated out there and, and Baker Mayfield and all these guys. What about I'm for just... a sixth? Mayfield for a sixth. Still keep your pick. Oh, why? Okay, so let me let me break this down for you. If he comes in and plays well and plays really well, hmm. he's going to be asking for a huge contract. We don't have a roster built for a huge roster. We just got rid of Russ for one of these reasons. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to pay him that amount of money, right? So if for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, I, I will say, I don't know if I necessarily agree that I think he could be had for a third. I live in Indianapolis, and I'll tell you, the Colts fans out here and the media sure think they're Baker Mayfield away from winning the Super Bowl. Now, they yeah. actually, they're buying into the idea that Baker Mayfield could be that guy. And well, they just got two-thirds for Carson Wentz. Bro, sorry to interrupt there, Robbie. Flip one of them, if they yeah. flip one of them for Baker, I think they'd be a lot happier. So, sorry to interrupt, though. The athletic yeah. reporter for the Colts, who is generally considered to be the most plugged-in reporter with the Indianapolis Colts, has basically reported saying they're not interested in him. Mm. That's not what I've been hearing, but I haven't read that read that report. So I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just think he could be had for, I think someone may pony up who thinks they're a quarterback away. Colts were the only one that came to mind um, also because I live in Indianapolis. But with that being said, I, I wouldn't give up. I wouldn't give up a maybe a seventh, I guess. But for me, it's, it's, it's tough because if he does come in and plays well, then, then you, you know, you have to, you have to consider paying, but I guess that's a good thing. If he comes in and plays well and he leads you to, you know, to the promised land, then I guess then you pay him. But I, I just don't think he's, I don't think he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I read an article that someone said that he's bottom 20 best quarterbacks in the league. Well, he's not had a QB rating over a hundred at any point in his career. He's the most touchdowns he's had in a season of 27. He's had the luxury of playing with a good offensive line and Nick Chubb and the other running back whose name I've forgotten and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and tight ends they've spent a lot of money on. He's had everything that a quarterback could want, Adam, and has not done diddly squat really with that, apart from one playoff run where the Steelers completely imploded and they treat that like they'd won the Super Bowl. I mean, this is not this is not a player that has have had any real success in the league. If they give him away and eat some of the salary, would you be interested or not? Um, probably just because I don't want to watch Geno Smith play 17 games. And I think that's going to be what happens ultimately. Um, and I keep saying, I'm not going to watch any primetime games if Geno Smith is quarterback, but I will end up watching them because I support the team. Um, and I guess I can probably find it easier to watch Baker Mayfield, uh, play. But I mean, again, I've said the whole, the whole episode, there'll be a championship roster for 2023 and, getting Baker Mayfield does nothing really to to take you in that direction. If anything, it might make you win three or four more games than you ideally want to going to next year's draft. So, you know, without tanking, it could end up being, you know, a net negative overall long term. 
I, I love a dog on the show, by the way. We've, we've had Robbie's dogs on the show before, so. I can only apologize for the uh, yeah. the, the, pup, the new puppy. He's, uh, I think he wants to go outside, but he has to wait because podcasts come first, Rob. Oh, no, I, I love it. I love it, Adam. But uh, they never apologize for dogs. You know, we are three dog owners here. And uh, I never, never mind hearing a bark in the background. Uh, we've had this super chat from Jason. How would getting him for a year work if he balls out this year and signs elsewhere for big books next year? Does that mean a good comp pick? It, it does as long as the Silks don't sign any free agents. They probably will sign free agents next year, though, because they're going to have a lot of cap to spend. So you probably wouldn't get a comp pick. Uh, but look, I, I don't have any issue having a look at him and making a call and seeing how it goes. I just, I don't see how you can make it work without Cleveland eating a lot of stuff. So we'll see. I've got the art. Just Robbie, just for the purpose of this conversation, because I want to, I want to quote, I think it's Zach Kiefer. There's the athletic reporter for the um, Colts. He says, um, Mayfield requested a trade from the Browns on Thursday. And according to the athletics, Jeff Howe has told Cleveland manager, Andrew Berry, that his preferred destination is Indianapolis. For what it's worth, Berry is a former Colts scout who knows the organization well. Mayfield wants the Colts, wanting the Colts is just one side of the equation, remember. More importantly, the Colts want Mayfield. To date, I haven't heard anything to suggest that they do. It doesn't mean a deal won't happen, but I see it as unlikely based on conversations Friday. So it's... But that's what the Seahawks are kind of putting out there as well. You know, Bob Condota... Uh, Condota um, reported that they're not aggressively pursuing him right now. And I think what you've got is essentially the Colts saying, yeah, we're interested. And the, and the Browns are going, okay, we'll have a day two pick for him. And they're going, well, we're not interested. And what you see with the Seahawks is exactly the same thing. They're being quoted offers from... Uh, they're being quoted offers from the Browns that are just ridiculous. And, and you are not... I, I guarantee it now. I will be amazed if they get an offer that is anything like a day two pick. The the absolute max here is going to be, I think, a fourth or a fifth with the Browns eating a chunk of salary in order to get that pick. And I think what's more likely is they're going to have to give him away because they cannot have him in that team anymore given what has happened over the last week. They are going to have to give him away. And the one thing that I will say is I think if he was available for practically nothing, that the Seahawks would take a chance. I think Carroll, his big sort of speech the other day about second chances, I think he this would be right up his street. And I think Schneider would, I think some teams would be turned off by Mayfield. I think Carroll and Schneider would be, they'd embrace that and they'd try and channel that competitive spirit. And remember, they were going on about how Marshawn Lynch was kind of like a problem child in Buffalo and they brought him in and he became the culture setter and everything like that. Whether it's arrogance or whether it's, 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 determination or whatever you want to call it, I think they would think we can do the same with Baker Mayfield. So I think they would be interested in it. It's just how far does the price come down so they just give him away? And if they're giving him away, do the Colts fancy some of that because they give him away as well? Or would it be the Seahawks? But I think it's between probably the Colts and the Seahawks and it's about whether the Colts are really genuinely interested and how much someone's willing to pay when they give him away. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm not really bought into it either way. But like Adam, I would rather watch Baker Mayfield next season. And G I cannot watch any more games of Geno Smith. I them talking about Geno Smith like he's already signed is really irritating because they, they're talking about him like he's already on the roster. He's not. He's not got a contract. But they're just assuming, well, 
We've got Geno Smith. Geno Smith did well. No, Geno Smith did not do well. It was terrible watching Geno Smith. I never want to watch Geno Smith play for the Seahawks ever again. It, no. Just no. Um, I think that's pretty much everything to discuss. we got one more thing to discuss. Go on then. What, what would you like uh, to Rashad, Rashad Penny signed today. Oh, of course. That's for the, that's for the uh, running back market. Here's my favorite. I'll give me a quick opinion on this. So, so listen, I'm I'm happy with the signing. I, a little more, maybe I would have wanted to spend. Uh, nice to bring him back. I think I think you have to cut Carson at this point. Um, I'm worried that they're not gonna. That I think this is a pretty good running back class, and I'm worried that they're not gonna attack this running back class and get somebody that they need to. Uh, and, and maybe a later later pick that someone's gonna turn up to like a like a DJ Dallas or something. But I'd I'd like to see them maybe uh, use a third or something or a fourth on a, on a running back that could, you know, really have the potential to be a game breaker or at least help uh, change the culture that we need. Because if we're gonna run people, we need running backs. And right now. Rashad hasn't proved it. I know he played well, but he hasn't proven to stay healthy. And obviously with Chris Carson's injury, I think it's time to move on from him. Yeah, good, good reminder to talk about Penny. We should, we should talk about this because it's, it's a big investment, but it's in the six million range that we talked about on previous streams of being comfortable doing because I think you just take a shot to see whether he can recreate the magic. And if he can, then six million is going to be a bargain. And if not, well, you move on in a year's time anyway. It doesn't really matter for me that they've invested this money in Rashad Penny. If he does what he did at the end of last season, Adam, he's going to be a, he could be a potential superstar. And if he doesn't, well, you know, you've not really lost anything really, have you? You know, it's, it's quite expensive, but I think it's a worthwhile gamble. And Carroll's system does not work without a running game. They have to have a running game. There's no guarantee that Penny's going to stay healthy. He probably won't. But to me, it felt like they had to do this. I would still like to draft a running back, though. And look, there were some good options. I, I really like Zamir White and Damian Pierce. I think both could be there in round three, and I think they should consider that. But wow, there are a long list of running backs that are going to be there on day three as well. And I think you can get a good one. So I would draft one as well. But I think that they, they probably had to do this, Adam. Yeah, I don't think you could go into a year in which you're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on Pete Carroll's philosophy and not take a guy who was never going to cost the world, who you know, who was exceptional at the back end of last year. I mean, imagine if he'd gone somewhere else and and tore it up for 16, 1,700 yards. And you're thinking, but you've just told us that you want to double down and run the ball and look after it and, you know, be, you know, it, it would have looked farcical. So unless he was going to be a guy that, you know, had a a rap sheet uh, tweet come out Monday last week at 10 p.m. saying, uh, you know, Rashad Penny signing for $25 million for someone over two years. I just think you had to do this. Um, and if you own, the worst thing you can lose is a bit of money, which isn't going to make a difference in the long run anyway. You're on mute, Rob. Apologies, yet. Yeah. I'm trying to delete uh, spam that's coming into the <laughs> into the live chat at the same time. Um, yeah, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it is it is definitely the right thing to do moving forward. Uh, we have had a super chat um, coming as well from Ty Ty. Another one here. It says thoughts on trading for Tyler Huntley. I mean, again, I suppose it comes down to I wouldn't want to spend anything high on Tyler Huntley. I don't know why the Ravens would give him away. They need a backup for Lamar Jackson. He's got his own contract issues. I think they will keep hold of him, Robbie. I wouldn't want to spend anything more than like a fifth on Tyler Huntley. What do you think? No, no I totally agree with that. Um, 
you know, he seems to play, he played pretty well in, in Lamar's absence, but I don't think the Ravens are going to get rid of him. I think Lamar Jackson, he could, he, he might be injury prone too. And if he goes down, they definitely are going to need him. So I don't think, I don't think they're going to give him away. Adam? My, my question would be, and for any quarterback they're talking about trading for, to what end? Um, for me, I, I would rather have as much ammunition in the bank. You know, Rob's got me fired up um, talking about the draft and how they're going to approach the offseason. Yeah, I, I've entered he does this. that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And <laughs> I, I've entered this feeling pretty up. negative and, and now I'm quite pumped up. And so for me, it's a case of you need to keep every single resource you possibly have to get the next great franchise quarterback. And there's nothing I would give up for a stopgap because it's just not going to make a difference unless they're going to take you to, you know, the promised land. I mean, uh, you know, people talking about a fourth round pick. KJ Wright was a fourth round pick at one point. Um, so, you know, you, use your picks for players that can help you build the next great team. Don't just do it, you know, as a cursory gesture to, you know, have a slightly better signal caller without, so I don't have to use the same word too many times. I can see people even in the live chat now are saying spend a third, a third on Huntley. I don't understand why people are so eager to give away the picks. I, I, I really cannot make this clear enough. This is a fantastic draft between rounds two and four. Getting rid of your picks on, you know, shots at backup players on other teams and people like Baker Mayfield, who you have club control of for one season at $18 million, is not how you rebuild your team. That is not good. These are short-term measures. Tyler Huntley, if you trade for him, he will also be on a one-year contract. So if you trade a third for him and he's no good, you've wasted a third-round pick. That's a player that you could have club control for for four years in a great draft. Five years if you want to use the franchise tag if they're good enough. So there's absolutely no reason to spend any high picks on Tyler Huntley or Baker Mayfield. If you want... Look, people need to get out this mindset of this will excite me more or this idea that Tyler Huntley or Baker Mayfield is going to lead you to the Super Bowl. It ain't going to happen. The way the Seahawks are going to get back to the Super Bowl is by doing one of two things. Either in the future, pulling off one of these huge trades to get a franchise quarterback, having built up your roster to be really good through the draft, or by drafting a really good quarterback. Probably early, over the next two or three years. That's how you're going to get back to the Super Bowl. It isn't going to be by trading for Baker Mayfield or Tyler Huntley. We have to embrace that. Everything about this year is about setting things up for the future. There is no point winning six games with Baker Mayfield or six with Tyler Huntley, watching them walk out the door to go to another team in 12 months' time and not having the benefit of a third-round pick. You've got to invest in the draft. You have to protect your picks. You have to be willing to use them to build your roster. Now, if a team's willing to give somebody away, Mayfield for a sixth, or will give you a sixth to take on his contract, fine. But you cannot be spending high picks on these people. And I'm telling you now, right? People are going to talk about it for a month. Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Desmond Ridder. They're not much better than Jack Cohn. At Notre Dame, if you could get him in round four, just take him, chuck him into the competition. You've not lost anything. You've not lost anything. 
You can have a look at him. If he's the answer, great. If he's not, you've got a backup on a fourth-round contract for the next four years who isn't Geno Smith. It's as simple as that. That is the extent of what Seattle's uh, quarterback interest should be this year for me. Or just go and sign some other, you know, Mariota or whoever for $3 million. Whatever. That's what it should be. I'm a little bit fearful that they are going to... Like, I don't know if anybody heard what Scott McLuhan said about Matt Corral. I think he called him a bulldog. And the way that he was speaking about him made me think, yeah, I can just see... And we've already seen the Carroll... Carol, that is going to be a pain in the arse, by the way. If Carroll drafts Corral, we are going to be calling them Pete Corral and Matt Carroll for the whole of their tenure together. Um, that picture and the Kiffin uh, connection makes me think they might trade into the back end of round one to get Matt Corral. But I, I would rather than build up the defensive front seven in this draft. That's that's what I would leave that on. And check out Will Levis on YouTube. The customary Will Levis mentioned there. Uh, guys, it's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you about the Seahawks. It's been great. And thank you for being generous with your time today for an hour and 21 minutes. Um, subscribe to the channel. Let's get those subscriptions up. Don't forget, you can now hear the Rebuild the Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks podcast uh, via Spotify, via Apple, via all of those. I'll be putting this whole conversation on there as well, wherever you get your podcasts, all that jazz. But it's really important that you subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, like the video, share it around, spread the message out there. And thank you for all the super chats as usual. Uh, thanks to Robbie and Adam. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.